Love it. 2.30 in the afternoon. It feels different, but it feels so right too. It's so lovely to see everyone here. Thank you all so, so much for being here. I can already see uh, the chat feature coming alive with uh, messages from people from uh, Dubai, uh, Spain by way of Australia, uh, Lincolnshire, Manchester, uh, Perpignan. I think that's right, Jeremy. Uh, where else? Oh God, who knows? There's, there's places all over the world. So uh, it's wicked to have you here. Thank you all so, so much for being here. Um, it's just lovely to have uh, what a bunch of lovely marketers uh, in the room today. I hope you're well. I hope you're smiling inside and out and uh, do drop in the chat where you are watching from. But what I can see right now is that there's a bunch of messages that are coming into panelists only. So what you're gonna need to do uh, very quickly is you'll see in the chat feature, there's a little thing down the bottom that says two panelists. You click that and you swap, swap it to panelists and attendees. And then all of a sudden, everyone can see your messages rather than just Asia and I. Uh, that's really important because like we're here to chat as well as we're here to learn. So take the opportunity to say hello to everyone uh, and switch that to panelists and attendees. Um, I thought I'd start today in the same way as I started the previous two sessions because it seems fairly neat and concise in the way that we define success for today's session. So the first way that we make today a success is that you walk away having learned something new or having uh, had your, your perspective shifted on something you already thought you knew about, but it's just shifted like 1%. And if you've managed to do that today, then I feel like uh, Asia and I, we've, we've achieved our mission. You know, we've done our bit because you would have hopefully invested that hour in your learning and taken something out, uh, which, you know, we can't ask for more than that. Uh, the second th way that today is a success is the, that that chat feature that's pinging at the moment on my right hand side of my screen stays consistently pinging throughout the duration of the session. Um, the way that like you get the most out of this session as well as learning is also meeting the lovely community and the way that you do that today is through the chat feature but then you can also do it in our Facebook group later after the session as well. And then finally the third way that we make today a success is that we make a bunch of noise about it and the reason why that's important is that the marketing meetup is a community that has been established to create a supportive place where people could come together and value each other for uh, the contents of their humanity rather than job titles or their budgets. So that means to say that we're a place which hopefully feels like home for a lot of you. Um, and if this home feels comfortable, then I'd love your support in letting other people and welcoming them to our little community, our home, where we can all learn together, get better together. Um, you can do that via LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all the channels that you would expect us to be, um, but your support in getting the word out is really, really appreciated and the way that this community grows in the most impactful, meaning way possible. With my sort of three bits done, I need to take the time to introduce our guest. <laughs> so today, <laughs> our guest is Asia Arangio. Uh, Asia is a new friend, uh, but someone who I've admired for a while. She's the founder and CEO of Demand Maven. And I first came across her uh, in her episode with Louis Grenier on Everyone Hates Marketers where she spoke eloquently uh, and was just like the most impressive sort of range of knowledge uh, that I've heard for a little while about someone speaking both about marketing tactics, but also strategy and how they marry up 
and how that can marry up to product market fit and all sorts of things. Needless to say, I'm really, really excited to have her speak to the marketing community today uh, because I think she's smart and, and that's sort of the beginning and end of it. Uh, today we'll run as a presentation and then a Q&A. So uh, Asia's taken the time to like take a talk and sort of curate it to our audience, which is just wicked. So like it will run as a presentation and then we'll have an opportunity for Q&A afterwards. So the way that you do that uh, is you find a little Q&A feature down below. If you wiggle your mouse, you can see that there's a Q&A feature. Click that, pop your question in there, and then we'll answer those at the end. The last thing from me uh, is to thank our sponsors. So every week we have a featured sponsor. It's the way that we enable the meetup to continue. This week it's Redgate Software. To speak briefly about Redgate, uh, if it wasn't for them, the marketing meetup wouldn't exist. Five years ago, when I was a solo marketer working in a small company and just wanted to meet other marketers, I put on an event and did it in their canteen. Today we are where we are because Redgate provided us a home. Today, they're hiring three marketers uh, in roles ranging up to like 75, 80,000 pounds a year. So really substantial marketing roles. Um, and you just need to go and check them out. That will be really, really useful. Or the other thing that you can do is uh, just drop Alana, who will be linked in the follow-up email, uh, just drop her a thank you. And I don't think the power of thank you can be overestimated when it comes to uh, just looking to appreciate people who have done a good thing for us to support our growth. Our other sponsors include uh, Geosk, Impression, Content Cal, Pitch, Fiverr, Redgate, Cambridge Marketing College, uh, Brand Recruitment, Gravity Global, and Third Light. I'd simply ask with each of these, again, that you say thank you. It makes the biggest difference. And if you continue to do that, it means that we can continue to bring these sessions to you. So uh, that's me done. I'd said it would be a three minute introduction to Asia. I think it was a bit longer than that, but it's wicked to have you here. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's, uh, it's over to you. Yes, thank you everyone so much for having me. My name is Asia Rangio, CEO, CEO and founder of Demand Maven. Super pumped to be here. Uh, we're we're just gonna we're gonna jump right in, and I'm super pumped to just share with you all of my knowledge, everything that I have seen by working with many different kinds of SaaS and also service companies, and um, just sharing what I know with you guys. And I'm going to share my screen now and. We're just going to pump right in or jump right in. So, okay. Uh, this talk is going to be all about how to get those very first 100 paying customers. And this is probably one of my most popular talks because a lot of organizations are, especially like if you're in the startup world or you are in the, you're just starting out your services company or whatever it is. Uh, and maybe you're also a marketer who's joined a team and you're trying to figure out like, holy crap, like I've got 20 customers and we get to a hundred, like, what do I do? This is going to be the process that is going to cover exactly how we do that. This is also our process. This is something that we go through with our clients. So for context, we help early stage and also late stage SaaS companies and software companies troubleshoot their growth and also help the early stage companies reach their very first growth milestones. And usually 100 customers is one of those milestones. It's the thing that a lot of people and organizations need to get to. Okay, so we are really covering the strategic process today. I could absolutely give you really specific tactics. However, the truth is that all of you are coming from different businesses, 
different business models, you're targeting different audiences. And on top of that, you are also in different market contexts, which has implications on exactly tactically what you do. So while I could totally list off and rattle off a bunch of things that have worked for a few different clients, um, which I will still technically do, uh, I could totally do only that. But the truth is that not all of that's going to work for you guys. So I'm going to give you the process. We're going to talk a few tactics sprinkled in between. And then at the very end, we're going to round it out with a few just really quick and easy playbooks that you can that you can work with. And then uh, I think at the very end, uh, if you guys still have more questions about um, the tactical side of things or even how best to go through the strategic process, we'll absolutely cover that as well. But this is going to work for B2B companies, B2C companies, SaaS software, non-software companies. It's going to work for product companies and services companies. This is truly the strategic process that we go through whenever we think about how to reach that very first growth milestone. Um, this is also going to work for various business models and sizes. There are going to be a few exceptions to the rule, which I will also point out. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway here is that these are global steps and they are things that will be applicable no matter what scenario you're in. Uh, the way that you arrive at a custom strategy is really based off of the information that you get throughout this entire journey. We're just going to start with the very first step. So step number one in terms of getting your first 100 customers is knowing your customer. And this is going, this sounds really obvious, I think, from a marketing perspective. But what's ironic about this step is that it's actually a step that a lot of marketing teams completely skip. They come, and I think there's also a little bit of hesitation around uh, knowing that we need to take a, a certain kind of medicine and we refuse to, even though we know it's good for us, but it tastes bad or it's not fun or there's something about it that we don't like about it. And so we kind of skip it and we're like, oh, we'll just do that later. So, Basically, really, the, the, the secret to knowing your customer is actually the thing that we both, on the one hand, kind of avoid sometimes, and on the other hand, we embrace wholeheartedly because it gives us the answers that we need. So yes, we are going to talk about customer research. And what I love about this step is that it really truly is a cheat code when it comes to knowing how best to uh, target the right audience. And then also how do you actually meet them halfway? Who is that best paying customer? What do they ultimately care about? And most organizations start with steps number one and steps number two. They start with market research. So they get a general understanding of the landscape of, of where they're at. Um, they might have uh, a software category, for example, that they are investigating or learning about. And then they move down into competitive research. So who are the competitors in this particular uh, market scenario or in this particular context? And do the competitors change based on verticals? And a lot of organizations will actually start here as the place to just get a better sense of, okay, like what are we actually doing from an organization and like, what is our whole business for? And, and what are the implications that we need to take into consideration when thinking about go-to-market? However, steps number three and number four, this is actually where a lot of organizations don't touch at all. They, they actually don't do, um, there are many companies that don't do this. Um, the vast majority of the organizations that I work with are companies that never actually get into prospect research, meaning, they, they don't talk to people who haven't signed up for the product or haven't uh, signed up for the solution or booked a demo or what have you. And then also actually interviewing customers. So this is a huge, huge opportunity when it comes to really understanding your customer and then also getting ideas on where best to target them and how to ultimately acquire those people. Um, the steps number three and number four, very rare 
And the organizations that are currently doing this, kudos to you, you are already well on your way to that first 100 customers or even entering into a new market. Um, there's many different ways to use this process. But why research? What is the whole thing behind research? Why is it so important that we do this? And again, this might seem really obvious. However, one of the, one of the most critical parts of this entire process is it is ultimately how we become more strategic. And I'm putting that in finger quotes, because if you've ever been in a scenario where a CEO or a founder has come to you, the marketer, and said, you know, I, I'm really hoping that we can be much more strategic about our marketing. I feel like we're being really reactive instead of proactive. One of the ways that you can become more strategic is to actually do this very first step. Part of defining a great strategy is having great information to build the strategy on top of. So the way that we do that is strictly by talking to customers. And also it's just one of those things where if, we're, if we want to acquire more customers, it makes sense to just ask them, how do we acquire you? <laughs> what do we actually do? Uh, like, where do you hang out? Like what's going on in your life? How do we find more of you? You can literally ask customers that and they will tell you. And this is also why I consider customer research to actually be an incredible cheat code that's not really a cheat, but it's also absolutely the fastest way to figure this out. Um, so if there was a role safe to creating and defining your marketing strategy or getting, um, getting those first 100 customers or how best do you position your product or service in the market, jobs to be done research, customer research, that's going to be the fastest path for you to do this. Here's what you're going to ask your questions. Here's, here's what you're going to ask your customers about. Um, these are the questions that I use in my interviews. There's actually um, a second half of this list that I also ask to really get to the nitty gritty details of how customers think. Um, but you're going to ask them things like what led them to look for the product or service? Where did they look? How did they actually find you or the organization? Um, how much time, just generally speaking, do they spend in other channels? Are they online people or are they offline people? Um, what are their favorite sources of information? Where do they go to learn more about their industry, about their world, about anything really that's related to, of course, the product or service that you're um, currently selling? What or who did they ultimately compare you to? Why did those other solutions not work? Why ultimately did they become customers? This gets us to a specific layer of how a customer actually thinks about even choosing a solution like yours in the first place. And it brings us to the psychology and to the heart of how people ultimately make decisions. And from here, we can actually reverse engineer what we should be doing, which is why this is so powerful to do as a first step and not a last step. And there's also so much more that we can ask. It, it does depend on what your ultimate business challenges are. If you find that you really struggle, for example, with generating awareness, you can ask your customers general awareness questions. If you find that you have issues or challenges activating customers or retaining customers, you can ask them questions specific to what that business challenge is. In addition, of course, to getting other information, which is always a, a good thing. The ultimate mission with step number one is you want to ultimately target customers you know so well that you could complete their sentences. This is a fundamental core aspect of getting to those first 100 customers is actually really truly knowing them and also repeating the, making it as a repetitive a process as possible. And the best way that we do that is of course by creating a system. Um, so the mission here is not to get too lost in the sauce of um, spreading yourselves too thin, wanting to be something to everyone. 
again, the mission here is to target them so well, uh, or know, to know them so well that it actually makes it easier to ultimately target them. And then of course, to focus really on the best fit customers and not everyone, uh, which in the early days is critical that we focus. Step number two. So let's say we go through step number one, we've done customer research, we've identified some key patterns, and we've also identified some anti-patterns, maybe even anti-personas, people we don't necessarily want to acquire. Um, but we've also identified people that we, we definitely want to acquire more of. We want to grow this particular customer segment in some kind of way. Um, so let's say we've, we've got some clarity now on who that best fit customer is and how we can best acquire them. The next step is to identify our gaps. Okay, so here's the thing, you guys are mostly marketers. So I'm assuming I can show you a picture of a funnel and you're gonna be like, okay, yeah, like we get it, this is a funnel. Um, so we've got this We've got this really basic funnel that I totally made in, in Google Slides and did not have a graphic designer design for me. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I think that we can look at this and say, okay, yeah, like this makes sense. We've got some kind of conversion point in the middle of the funnel here. That conversion point is going to be based off of your organization. This could be a free trial signup. This could be a demo request. It could be an actual purchase. This could also be a contact form. There are some services companies that in order for people to enter into the sales pipeline in some kind of way, they need to, to, they need to talk to someone and they fill out a contact form. Whatever that conversion point is for you and your organization, that's going to be the, the, the line, so to speak, of what takes someone from this unknown prospect to a potential customer to an actual paying customer. We can start at the top of this funnel. And uh, so tofu literally just means top of the funnel. Um, you know, widest audience, widest reach, co content campaigns are also wide. Doesn't necessarily have to do with what your product or service does. It doesn't necessarily have to even correlate to what the pain is um, when it comes to the solution. Uh, top of the funnel can literally just be related to anything. I think the only rule is that it actually attracts your target audience, but it could be about anything. We are um, really um, complex human beings. We have many different interests and challenges and problems. Um, and we also have very many different values and what we're interested in is very different. So top of the funnel, especially from a B2B sense, it can really vary across all of those things as long as it attracts the right kind of person. That's really the only rule here. By the time we move into middle of the funnel, some marketers would consider middle of the funnel to be, this is where you get into case studies and things closer to the product or solution. Um, other marketers consider middle of the funnel to be closer to the problem and therefore uh, needing to identify a solution. Uh, a great example of middle of the funnel content would actually be a company, um, uh, I think most of us are familiar with HubSpot, but for those who aren't, HubSpot used to be a marketing automation platform and now they are actually this like full go-to market suite where they tackle like sales, marketing, customer success, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but back in the day when they were just marketing automation, middle of the funnel content for a HubSpot might've actually looked like how to manage your email lists or how to automate to your existing, or how do you, how do you automate marketing to an existing audience? Um, so it's, it tackles a problem and it kind of gets into the solution uh, upon which case at the end of that article, I would expect they would start to pitch HubSpot or something to that effect. And then bottom of the funnel, this is people who are really educated about the problem and they want to learn more about your solution specifically. This is where we definitely get into key studies at this point. We get into pricing pages. We also get into competitive landing pages. So your solution versus a competitive solution. And this is also where we get into 
I'm just looking for the absolute best tool in this software category. Make sure that you show up whenever I make I do that query. So for HubSpot, this would be um, what are the top marketing automation platforms in the US or in the world or whatever that is. And the interesting part, however, is that bottom of the funnel for some organizations that could very literally mean the content here. Um, and then for others, it could actually mean signing up for the freemium. It could also mean signing up for the free trial. This is where a funnel is going to look a little bit different across every organization. There really isn't a one size fits all that I have seen personally. Um, but the ultimate goal here is that you have a clear understanding of what that funnel looks like for your business. And also the rest of the organization is also aligned on what that definition is for the rest of the, of the business. Um, if the product person, for example, in the, in, on the team has a very different definition of the funnel, then uh, from a marketer's perspective, that might be, it might be a little challenging to kind of um, illustrate exactly what you're doing strategically. So I, I will just throw that out there as a caveat. Uh, and then I, I think a top of the funnel example, just to round this example out uh, for, let's say HubSpot, top of the funnel for HubSpot would be like how to, how to create a really uh, interesting, stunning graphical image using Canva. <laughs> like it has very little to actually do with uh, marketing automation or email marketing in that particular context, but it would, however, attract a marketer and it would also attract other kinds of folks as well. Um, so that is kind of the, the double-edged sword with top of the funnel. You still need it, but it, it is definitely not as geared towards, um, you know, the product or the problem in the, at the end of the day. Okay. So what do we do with this funnel? So if, if we have a definition of what our funnel is, uh, step number two really says, let's identify the gaps. At the end of the day, our jobs as marketers is to build an audience and to build rapport with the people that we're really hoping to attract in the first place. And then part of the, of the delivery of the organization as a whole and of the business as a whole is to provide value, to solve something for someone somewhere. And if it's not a painkiller, it's of course a vitamin, which is a very different story. However, our jobs as marketers is to identify where are we not meeting people halfway based off of what the funnel currently looks like. There are some who also will use a customer journey as a way to illustrate this. Um, but our, st our step here is to identify what our gaps are. So there are going to be blockers that um, uh, they, they kind of pull the customer away from actually ever signing up or booking a demo or whatever that conversion point is. Um, but our, our jobs is to figure out, well, what is that in the first place? And how do we fill that need? Or how do we remove the objection or ad address the objection? How do we um, make sure that we are clearly communicating what those differentiators are between other competitive solutions? And of course, how can we provide other tools for decision-making? If the customer or the prospect is coming to us and they, they are trying to make a decision, how do we as an organization and as a marketing function help them make a decision? There's a few example questions here when it comes to what gaps you might need to fill, but this could be pages that you might need to add to the website. This could be um, what lead magnet do you need to offer that's going to contribute value, but also generate a qualified lead. This could also be information that you need to provide uh, to someone to make a decision. This is where we get into white papers or one pagers or different sales enablement um, uh, uh, assets. What emails would we need to send if someone did ultimately sign up for a lead magnet or they booked a demo? What happens after? And what value would you need to provide ASAP? These are all questions to help you get to what gaps does your current 
marketing cycle have today based off of what the customer is ultimately going through. And if you've done step number one, you'll already have the answers to this. If you've, if you've talked to customers, you will already have, and you're asking their questions, of course, but you'll already have a sense for, oh man, it seems like people are actually going through this particular process, but we're not necessarily meeting them halfway. There's an example that we'll give uh, actually after this. Um, but gaps are really the secret here to figuring out how, how do we close that gap between someone having never have heard about us to now they've heard about us and now they are signing up and also becoming a paying customer. It's that full cycle. If you were to Google different customer journey maps, you're going to find tons of different examples. And customer journey mapping is one of those exercises that I highly, highly, highly recommend. But what I will say is um, you don't have to necessarily have this beautifully designed uh, deliverable. It, this could be as simple as a spreadsheet. Actually, you could very easily map a lot of these things out in, in a really easy, uh, simple tool. But I do think that the actual exercise of doing this is incredibly valuable. The cool part about this too, is that there isn't really one size fits all from a customer journey map perspective either. There are many different ways to illustrate what the customer ultimately goes through. And there's many different ways to also illustrate what your organization currently provides. So each of these, uh, I imagine, are custom to what the organization also ultimately offers, which is a really, um, that's something that you as an organization and as a team can ultimately define for yourselves. But there's tons of frameworks to use here. Uh, there's Tofu Mofu Bofu, so you can keep it really simple. Imagine you've got a spreadsheet with you know, a column for that, a column for Mofu and a column for Bofu. And you start outlining, here's what the customer actually experiences. Here's what they're thinking. Here's what they're feeling throughout that entire process. But you can also use frameworks like uh, awareness, nurture, conversion is a really popular one. I think there's actually another one. It's another variation of this that includes like a fourth piece. Um, you could also use the levels of awareness by Eugene Schwartz, uh, unaware to problem aware to solution aware to product aware, most aware, et cetera. There's jobs like kind of frameworks that you can use. So what are the triggers, the struggle moments, discovery habits, uh, moving over into consideration sets, et cetera. There's tons of frameworks that you can use. Um, there are many that are pre-existing that will help you outline what that journey and also potentially what your funnel looks like. The, the key here, however, is to just use what makes sense to you and to your team. If you're really great, if, 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 uh, if your superpower is creating your own system or framework, um, use that superpower. And if you'd rather use something that another organization has already done, you can skip that step. Don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just use what someone else has done already, but actually map out what that funnel looks like and also what the customer journey looks like. And that can also help you to identify what those gaps are. At the end of the day, the ultimate goal with step number two is to focus on filling the gaps and removing friction. There's a really strong chance that there's unanswered questions that your prospect has, and it's what's preventing them from becoming a customer or from saying, yes, I have a pain. Um, and it could also very well just be how you're currently positioned in the market. Um, the prospect might actually have a very different perspective of what your solution ultimately is and what it does. And the reality is that it actually does help them with their pain. They're just not looking at it in the right context. So now we have to consider, maybe we need to adjust our positioning and messaging on the website. Maybe there's tactics or, or things that projects that we can do to help again, fill that gap. And there's also a really strong chance that there's not just one gap, but there's, there's actually several gaps. We'll actually talk about how to prioritize right after this. But the step number two, 
identifying the gaps and then filling them. That is one of the ways that is going to more easily help you convert the prospects that you are currently attracting today. And then also any future prospects that you attract, they'll help uh, improve the conversion rate of people who are ultimately coming to your website. All right, step number three, we are going to target the pain. So when we think about, okay, we've gone through the customer research process, we have a pretty good sense for what our best fit customers look like. And on top of that, we have a pretty good sense for what they actually do to find our solution in the first place. We might actually have a ton of ideas when it comes to those gaps and how to ultimately fill them. By the time that we get to step number three, now we're going to prioritize that. And we're going to prioritize that by focusing on where the pain is. So we're going to target the pain for step number three. So we have this picture of this funnel, tofu mofubufu, like we got the conversion point. I think we're, I think we're pretty solid on that. Um, one of the questions I would ask, however, is what was your prospect doing right before they blank? Like right before that main conversion point happened, again, this could be a book, a demo, this could be a free trial signup. This could also be uh, contacting us. What was the prospect doing right before that moment? And you might find that there's tons of things that they were doing and not all of it happened uh, instantaneously, it could have happened over several weeks, could have also happened in one fell swoop and just a couple of Google searches and that was it. But we're going to go through an example of this right now. Okay, so let's say, <laughs> let's say we wanted to find the absolute best project management software. And some of you marketers have actually been through this before with an organization. You have gone through, I feel like every team at some point goes through the, what project management software do we use? And then they go through the dance of trying to find the absolute best one for them and their organizations. Spoiler alert, if you've never gone through this before with a team, uh, the, the tricky part is that there's hundreds hundreds of project management solutions out there today. And actually finding one and choosing one is in and of itself an experience. Um, but I want to use this example because it's a really common one. And I think a lot of people will, will relate. Okay, so let's say I am on the search for a project management software. The first thing I'm probably going to do is I'm just gonna to go to Google and I'm gonna type in best project management software. And you know, uh, good luck to all the companies that <laughs> are trying to rank for this term because it is a really intense term. Ooh, okay. So first thing I do, I type this in, I go through like, let's say two to three pages, which actually people do get to like to the third and fourth page of Google um, of searches, but I'm doing tons of research because it's my job. It's, I need to figure this out. I need to find something and present a few uh, different solutions to my team. Next, I'm going to go to each of those websites and I'm going to read what this, this ultimate product does. I'm going to go learn more about what each of those, um, like what are the different value propositions that these have. Uh, and you're going to notice immediately that a lot of them say a lot of the same things, which is not shocking given how crowded the space is. However, um, it is my job as the consumer to really kind of figure out like, okay, well, what makes, like what resonates or vibes most with me? And then also, is this actually going to solve my problem? Uh, so we go from Google searching to now we're looking at different websites and we're reading and we're learning and we're digesting. Except imagine that we did that five to 10 more times. So I just had four examples up there, but the on average, whenever people are looking for a project management solution, most of them will actually sign up for at least 10 different uh, products, which sounds wild, but this is actually a real stat based off of re real research that we did. And we found that when people were looking for solutions like this, 
they signed up for at least five to 10 of those. And if you can imagine if you're in a industry or a vertical or a category that has tons of other competitors, then your prospects are probably doing a ton of research also and doing something really similar. And if you have fewer competitors or alternatives in your, in your particular niche or vertical industry, et cetera, um, maybe this number is much smaller, but for project management, it's huge, at least from our experience. So then imagine that, okay, so I've signed up for like five to 10 of those, which God help my inbox at that point. Um, but I've probably gotten tons of different emails at, uh, and I'm also getting onboarded by each of these products. And I'm making, I am making consumer decisions as I go through each of these experiences. And then I might decide, okay, you know what? That process was really overwhelming. What if I went to a software directory like Captera and I, I just, I just took a look to see, like, you know, what had the most reviews, what had great reviews, etc. We've got ClickUp, we've got Monday, some of the really familiar brands I've probably already seen because I did my Google search already. But now I'm actually getting into word of mouth and also just review sites in general, seeing what people are actually saying and how they're currently reviewing each of these products. Uh, I want the pros and the cons. I want the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, because I really want to be prepared based off of what others are experiencing. And then I take another step because like I said, I'm a prospect, I'm a consumer doing my research. And I notice a question actually in a Facebook group that I'm in. And then I also go to Twitter and I ask the question, which by the way, you guys can uh, find my Twitter profile bottom left corner here. I actually really did ask this question last night before today's talk, cause I was curious and instantly hundreds uh, of like, we're using this, we're using this, we're using this. And it, it was pretty fascinating actually hearing all the different variations of answers. We just covered like six to seven channels all within that one really short 30 minute process. That was 30 minutes of my time. Uh, I really didn't do, <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of effort, I think uh, in a 30 minute span, but that was six to seven channels, six to seven opportunities for each of those project management companies to have been number one or top five or top 10, what have you. And then also different opportunities too for different companies to shine. So ClickUp didn't really come up in many of my searches, but they did uh, and Captera. So, and just for context, those six, to seven channels, we looked at, um, we looked at, we, I mentioned Facebook, I mentioned Twitter, and technically word of mouth is an, is an extra layer of all of that. We also looked at Captera, and then we looked at Google search. And then I don't know if you noticed, but there were Google ads. <laughs> so that's six. And then if you consider the website to be a channel, I also looked at different websites as well. And then uh, email. So I think now we have like eight, uh, six to seven, uh, technically more, depending on what you would consider to be a channel. But already those are different opportunities for those companies to be, again, the number one recommended thing. All of those channels and all of that behavior was very bottom of the funnel behavior. I wasn't looking for, how do I better manage my projects? I was looking for, no, show me project management software. I just want to see what, I already know I have a problem. Uh, what are the solutions that are available to me? Very bottom of the funnel activity. If you are doing any kind of bottom of the funnel activity, you're likely targeting people who have a pain and they want to solve it now. This is probably one of the most recommended approaches to getting the first 100 customers that I make. Uh, there's too many, there's too much opportunity to get distracted by people who don't have a pain. And there's far, there's far more open opportunity to target people who do have a pain and they want to solve it and they want to solve it right now. Um, so what I typically recommend is focus on targeting the pain. 
where do people express their pain? So if I tweet, I, what are you guys using from a project management software perspective? That's probably an indicator that I have a pain. Now, I actually don't have a pain. Uh, I just wanted to illustrate the example, but um, we use Notion, for example. <laughs> uh, but if I did have a problem and if I was like, you know what, I'm really over Notion, it's not really what I wanted. What is everyone else using? What are my options? I'm considering switching. I, I have uh, all of the opportunity to get targeted by companies that um, ultimately want to solve my pain and want to fix it now. So when it comes to those first 100 customers, I recommend targeting the pain and focusing there. Starting with the starting with people who have the pain first also eliminates or at least greatly reduces the chance that you try to figure out what top of the funnel looks like, but you end up not attracting the right people who have the pain in the first place. So that is why I recommend start thinking bottom of the funnel first in the early days, again, on that trajectory to that first 100 customers. However, there are always exceptions to the rule. So I want to make sure to point out when does this not work? What are the scenarios where this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to be bottom of the funnel first. There's always exceptions, um, but there's really two other opportunities here. And again, this is really in those early stage days of getting to that first 100 customers. But if you find that people aren't really looking for the solution, meaning they're not really searching because they're probably not, like they might be aware that they have a pain, but they might not have ever taken that second step of, Maybe there are solutions out there that, that do this. Um, a really common example or a common niche or practice is um, if you are a software company that targets lawyers, for example. Lawyers, uh, historically speaking, um, they, they are now adopting technology. Like they're, they're really, law firms around the world are starting to finally adopt technology to help them do their jobs better or uh, more efficiently, I should say. Um, and they aren't necessarily the first vertical or market to start thinking, oh, there's probably technology that will help me do this. Compare that to marketers, however, uh, our crowd is extremely, uh, we are constantly being bombarded by new tools and technologies. So there, when it comes to solving a problem in an organization, we're probably going to think, oh, technology, that's something that we can go and look, uh, look up. However, there's, um, this of course doesn't apply to just technology, but depending on the market context that you're in, you might be targeting an organization or a function that doesn't necessarily even think to search. Um, and that's an exception to the rule. That's where it might actually make more sense to do either top of the funnel um, awareness building just in general, or it might actually make more sense to do like an outbound sales function. So from a clearly defined target market perspective, uh, or if you have a really high um, average contract value, so maybe like the cost of what it is that you're selling is actually really high comparatively speaking, it might require a lot more decision-making cycles internally on behalf of the prospect. That also might be a really strong use case for maybe not focusing 100% on the bottom of the funnel. Uh, it actually might make more sense to do maybe more outbound sales um, and maybe building a sales function instead, or at least in addition to because I think the other part of this too is that it's not a matter of if you do these things it's more of a matter of when do you do these things um, and then of course yeah if you have like a really clearly defined target market let's say you are targeting um, the aviation companies of the world that's a, probably a really short list of I don't know maybe a thousand accounts I'd be surprised actually if it were more than that if you have a really clearly defined target market do do account-based marketing or do outbound sales it probably doesn't make sense to build a bunch of bottom of the funnel, like inbound or demand gen at that point, it could, 
but it probably would be faster to, to do maybe something different. Um, that's where I would recommend you're either doing probably like an outbound sales play, or you're probably doing a top of the funnel of some kind, if and only if people aren't actually looking for solutions or again, high, higher, uh, ACV or LTV, if you're in SAS, uh, or you have a really clearly defined target market, a list of accounts, that's not insurmountable for a team of salespeople to crack through. Um, that would be another opportunity. Okay, so we have done our customer research. We've identified our gaps. We have identified and we are starting to target the pain. We are building campaigns, content, funnels specifically for targeting that pain, of course, with respect to our exceptions. By the time that we get to step four, we are now going to ultimately define our strategy. And the reason why it's here is because we might have executed a few things and steps, you know, uh, well, really, I technically one through three, we probably ex ex uh, executed some things. But by this point, we should have a pretty strong understanding or bet on what is ultimately going to get us there to the 100 customers, especially if we've talked to our customers. So that is um, part of why this step is here. We didn't start it with step number one, because we ultimately need information, we need insight and data to define this well. So what do we do? A strategy for many people, the definition of that, some people describe it as a plan and they're not wrong. It's not a wrong definition. But what I would actually offer is a strategy is ultimately how you are going to win. Um, it's not just a list of tactics. It's not just a plan. It is how you are going to win in your market and ultimately provide value for your customers. I can't take credit for this, however. This was this whole entire concept is from a book called Playing to Win. I highly recommend it, especially if you are looking to improve your strategic, uh, strategic skills or if uh, this is actually a really new concept for you and you're like, how do I get more strategic? Highly recommend this book. It's an excellent read. It's also a really fast read. Also very applicable to pretty much any scenario. But by the time that you get to step number four, we are now going to define what our growth strategy is going to be based off of what we've learned. And this is how we finally start to put those things into place. A growth strategy is actually really simple. This could include sales, it could include marketing, it could also include customer success. Um, but ideally, everyone is aligned around what the strategy ultimately is. We know who we want to target. We know why we want to target them, meaning we have a clear understanding of what value we provide them. We have a rough idea of where we want to target them. Those are those channels and also uh, partnerships or business development activities. We understand how we want to do this. So tactically, how do we execute this? Are we posting a blog uh, every single month and distributing that among Facebook groups? Uh, are we actually building out a sales function and we're getting a target list and we're sending them emails? What does that ultimate uh, process actually look like? And then we're, we're capable of translating all of that into real action items, something that I can delegate to someone or that I can assign to myself or to someone else. Um, these are our actual tactics, things that someone can ultimately do. If we are able to hit each of those pieces, we have a growth strategy and it doesn't have to be 20 pages long. It could actually just be two pages, sometimes even one if you are Louis Grenier and uh, you are using his one page marketing strategy um, framework, which I do also recommend as well. Part of getting to this step is really going through the other steps first, getting to here and already knowing exactly what it is that we need to do. There are many organizations who start actually with strategy first and they end up creating a strategy that doesn't actually end up grounded in anything real or concrete, or it is 
second and third hand knowledge. And it might actually need to be refreshed and updated because the paradigm has shifted. So that is why I actually save this for a little bit after we've done a little bit of that research and that digging. Okay, so let's say you are ready to sit down and define your strategy and you come out of the strategy and you're feeling really good about it, but you're kind of like, is this actually like where it needs to be or could it be improved? The answer is sure, it could always be improved, but there are a few yellow cards and also red cards that I would highlight if you are in this step and you're in this process. The first thing to look out for is you've got conflicting strategies. So um, you are, um, this is actually really common in organizations where functions are relatively siloed. So the sales team is going in one direction and marketing is going in this direction and customer success is prioritizing a whole other customer segment. Uh, those are very conflicting strategies. And part of this is up to really the founder and the CEO to help align, but you are all marketers and you're probably marketing leadership. If you notice this, you can probably point this out and also bring this to the CEO's table or to the CMO's table, whoever, um, whoever is responsible for that and point that out. Uh, it, another yellow card, um, you don't have enough resources dedicated in any one direction. If you are on the journey from zero to hundred customers, your number one threat is actually focus. And I would say the secondary threat would be execution. But if you're not focused, if you're trying to spread yourselves too thin, the likelihood of you reaching hundred customers fast is actually going to be really small. And many companies learn the hard way. They spend too much time getting to 100 customers and many of them burn out. Uh, but because it's, they're not focused actually on any one particular segment. So as marketers, especially if you are on that journey uh, or as founders, if you're on that journey, highly recommend being focused when it comes to who it is that you're targeting and also aligning your resources in one direction as opposed to spreading your teams and resources way too thin. Uh, lastly, nothing really adds up. And there's actually a horror story that I definitely want to tell you guys if we have time. And I think we will. Um, but you should, I mean, yes, like you should totally have goals. Um, but you should also acknowledge the performance of the funnel today. So if you need to get to 100 customers, but the only way for you to get there is by getting a million page views uh, per month on like to your website in three months, you're probably not going to meet your goals in the time that you would like. So if you find that you need exorbitant amounts of traffic or conversions for you to reach your goals to get to that 100, there might be something off when it comes to the funnel and how it's currently performing. So that actually might be a use case for looking at another strategic aspect of that. And the red cards. Okay, so this is really more applicable to all of my SaaS and startup friends out there, especially ones who are on that journey to the 100. However, there are some really clear indicators of a strategy that might actually fall apart really fast. Um, if you need revenue yesterday, so you've got like three months left to live and you ultimately need to generate deals right now, then what I typically recommend is I'd actually focus more on maybe sales as opposed to building uh, a demand gen or inbound function and purely just because of the time pressure. So if there is a scenario where you need to ultimately get money like right now because your life depends on it, um, then I probably would say, ah, yeah, like just focus. It's not scalable necessarily for everyone, but it, it would certainly help you reach your goal a little bit faster. Um, and then of course you can move away from it if, if you end up uh, focusing efforts elsewhere. 
Another red card, you don't have any clear action items. You couldn't necessarily delegate anything to anyone. If you do not have a really clear set of action items, projects, and strategic priorities after this, um, then the strategy is really more of like a suggestion and kind of a meh. So it's really important that when you go through the strategic process and you define this and you document it, that you do have tactics for someone to actually execute after. Um, and then I think the last thing, and this is a huge red card for me, is that if you never actually talked to anybody, if you didn't get any customers on the phone and you didn't actually talk to them and you were just kind of guessing, then your strategy is going to be based on a guess. And there's certainly research that can be provided by other teams. So for example, if you're in a very large organization and you have a BI team or you have a team of, of researchers who can provide you voice of customer data, that would, that would be totally acceptable as long as it was true voice of customer. If it's secondhand or thirdhand notes, uh, it, and also if it's you know through the grapevine of someone else, it's something to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, you can, of course, use that and get started with it, but I would always recommend actually talking to a real paying customer. And yes, they do want to talk to you, I promise. Um, but if, if you haven't gotten anyone on the phone, then you haven't really truly started this process. But of course, if you can't technically get anyone on the phone, but you can use real true voice of customer data from another team, that counts. So I would say that's still a go. Okay, let me tell you a strategic horror story with the time that we have left. Okay, um, so this is this is a real story. This has uh, this has happened to me personally, but this is an example of where a strategy, um, not based in reality at all, and also just generally, um, just I mean, completely unrealistic. Uh, I joined a company once years ago, and one of the uh, initial priorities for the organization was to it was to make this revenue amount. And it was like, I think it was like 300 K. Um, so they, they were basically hiring a person to come in and generate that revenue. And I remember when I, when I started the company, my first day was actually learning that I had this goal <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. So I've got this goal of 300 K um, in revenue. Awesome. What's the deadline for that goal? And it was like, okay, well, you've got three months. And it was like, okay, three months, 300 K. 100k a month. All right. Um, so what does the existing funnel look like? Like how, like how much is in the pipeline today? What are the conversion rates of that? What does that actually look like? Kid you not, um, nothing's in the pipeline. We've never done this before. And on top of that, we have no baselines or benchmarks for you to reverse engineer off of. Every time that we've ever run this process before, uh, it's been different every single time. So we've always had different numbers and variations of that. And I, 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 I kid you not, like this is real. This actually really happened to me. Um, I remember thinking, hmm, well, we don't have any real conversion rates here. We don't have a real clear understanding of, um, we clearly don't have a predictable revenue model is really what it was. Um, definitely not a predictable revenue model. And on top of that, uh, it, it's, it's not something, uh, we have a really tight deadline for this and there's significant repercussions if we don't achieve this. Um, the entire team could get cut, all kinds of horrible, bad things could happen. So my, my next question was, okay, I'm thinking scope, uh, you know, scope time budget, the iron triangle. This is what every project manager lives and dies by. Um, even though that's not my background, I'm just really familiar with it because it's something that's always stuck with me, but okay, we've got this incredible scope and we don't have a lot of time. What's the budget like? Do we have a giant budget? Because maybe it would be possible if we had the giant budget, zero budget no money. Can't do this at all. Can't spend anything. 
got to do this with nothing. Um, so we have to figure out how to uh, generate this amount of revenue in a really short amount of time uh, with absolutely nothing to go on. And my final question, and this was me still trying to make this work in my head because I was like, surely this is, there's something, there's something I'm missing here. Uh, my final question was, what is the average deal size of what it is that we're selling? Because maybe we only need to sell three of these things. Um, we need to find a pipeline uh, that's probably pretty big, but if we convert three of those folks, maybe then we will reach our goal in the amount of time. <laughs> and also, true story, um, average deal size was just $100. That's all it was going to cost for these people, which would mean, statistically speaking, we would need to have generated like hundreds of thousands of people basically to buy this thing in order for us to reach our goal. True story, kid you not. I take responsibility for this in some ways. These were all questions, by the way, I should have asked. I was a really junior marketer at the time. Uh, comparatively speaking to where I'm at now. Um, these were all things I probably should have gotten details on way before I accepted this job. Uh, but a true real story, a horror story, and it was a strategic horror story. If the executive leadership had any real clue about how this marketing process ultimately worked and also what kind of uh, time it would take to generate such significant amount of revenue based off of our average contract value, what those conversions po uh, conversion points would have to be, and then therefore how much traffic we would need even to meet that requirement, uh, they would have been like, oh my gosh, it's super unrealistic and there's no way we could hold anyone to this number. But the truth is I totally was. And part of this, I'm telling you this story because you're all marketers or most of you are at least, um, for the founders who are listening, do not do this to your marketers. Um, but if you are in a scenario where it is really clear to you, at least, that something is not going to work strategically, what's really cool about this process is you're going to have data points along the entire way. So when a customer says, I don't spend any time in LinkedIn, but the CMO or the founder or the chief sales officer is like, let's spend all of our time in LinkedIn. You can be like, hey, I did like voice of customer research already. And I kind of like already discovered that they like hate LinkedIn actually. <laughs> so we shouldn't spend any of our time there. And then you will be the marketing goddess or the God, the person who knows all of the things. And um, you can actually be that strategic voice of reason in addition to really understanding what your baselines and metrics are. Um, when, uh, when executive leadership comes to you with incredibly uh, intense expectations, you can use this process to ultimately show them hey, here's where all of our gaps are. Here's where things are performing well. Here's where they're not performing well. Um, if we are to improve these things, we'll need to achieve this much. That's the kind of negotiation power that you ultimately get with this process. And that's why I also recommend it. But I want to tell you that strategic horror story because it is real. It happens to people all the time. Uh, and I have learned the hard way what to ask and also what just simply is not going to be realistic. <laughs> so um, as you go through the process of crafting your own strategies, Try to identify where are you setting up um, unrealistic expectations or where do you actually need more information? You need more data points to do something better. Um, I fully expect strategies to start out uh, as uh, sand and then coming out as diamonds, like uh, carbon diamond. Like that's kind of the way that I see the process. Um, whoops, got some rescue time. Okay. Step five, executing and iterating. Um, all right, I'm gonna try to make this a little fast, so I apologize that we're a little over time. Um, but the last step is really all about execution. And one of the most common um, 
pitfalls of this process is that many teams go through this process expecting to find silver bullets. They're expecting the one thing or the one answer or like the one tactic to ultimately get us there. And the truth is that there are no silver bullets in growth and in marketing. And I think generally speaking, we all know that. However, we still can sometimes latch on to a few really specific answers. And um, sometimes it can actually prevent us from actually executing against what we need to execute in the first place. Execution and focus, those are the top two threats on that journey to 100 customers. Um, execution is one of those things too, where it, it simply like you must actually execute in order to get data. That's the ultimate point here. Um, so there are phrases like, what's the right strategy? Like, what is the right thing to do? And I would say, you know, like Drake, like, uh, that's probably too close to silver bullet thinking. Um, what's the one thing that's going to work? Not the many things that are going to work, but what's the one thing like Asia, what is the one tactic I can do? That's just going to change my whole ship around. And I would say that's silver bullet thinking. That's all or nothing thinking. Sorry. I didn't mean to hit my mic. Um, my therapist would be like, ah, that's too, way too limiting in terms of options here. Um, here's another one that I hear actually a lot from CEOs and founders. I'm only going to invest in it if it works. And it's like, well, how do you know if it's going to work if you don't invest in it anyway? Um, but again, I, I give them the, the, you know, like the, the Drake, ah, that's not, that's not really silver bullet thinking. Um, however, here's a different approach. What if we actually like took a really healthy approach to marketing and growth? Uh, and then I would say, ah, okay, now you've got my attention. And also now we can have a conversation because we're both coming at this from the same place. Um, what if we actually focused on gathering data points and using that to inform our strategy so that way we're not blocked from actually executing it. We can, we can uh, iterate on top of it as we go. And this is where, this is where our consciousness expands. Uh, and then what if we actually built relationships with our customers and actually cared about them? Um, and this is where we truly hit awareness. And now we have ascended um, into just, you know, marketing greatness and excellence and also business excellence as well, because like you got to build relationships with your customers. By the time that you get to step five, I expect that you are iterating through your experiments. And when I say iterate, I mean constantly executing or consistently executing, excuse me, consistently putting effort into you know, two to three channels that you would like to try based off of what you've learned. And then when you do that, you learn from them. Many organizations will start activities and then totally quit when it doesn't net the result that they want. But the truth is that with anything marketing, and I'm sure you guys already know this, but with anything in marketing, you're gonna have to iterate. And that's going to be something that you should also be communicating um, to your other stakeholders that this is truly a process there are no silver bullets. And on top of that, you don't just shoot once. You actually have to shoot many different times and you have to consistently do this. And the, the, it's not just about doing it, um, but also actually learning from it. So if you're able to measure performance, for example, you'll also be able to see where you need to improve. And then of course, over time, everything that you were doing gets better and also brings you closer to your goals faster. Um, okay, so consistent execution, I would say it's probably one of the number one reasons uh, why go-to-market strategies ultimately fail because companies will go through this whole process of defining the strategy and then never actually take steps towards executing against it and then learning from it. Uh, and then I would say the second part to this is it's not just the execution, but it's also the informing part. There has to be a feedback loop that happens. If there isn't a feedback loop that happens, then your strategy doesn't ultimately get better and you actually might, it might take you longer to reach your goals than what would happen if you were to do the opposite. 
Um, except now that of course that you know all of this, you can ultimately avoid it, which I trust is also helpful in that respect. There are gonna be some organizations, however, that really are in a scenario where they can't really afford experiments. And if you are in a situation where you can't afford experiments, meaning um, maybe you don't have the longest runway or maybe um, the, the bandwidth that you have from an organization perspective is really low. Maybe you have a really small team and you're super busy and super focused and it's really hard to make time for really any of this kind of work. If this is the case, if you really truly can't work on experimentation here or if you don't have a culture of experimentation in your org, I would say just focus on the basics. So here are the basics. This is what I would recommend for pretty much any organization and just about any different scenario. There are a few different scenarios here that I'll cover, um, but these are like the top four things that on average, these more often than not work for companies if and only if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, then it might not work. But, um, but if you do know what you're doing and you are experienced in some kind of way, or you can hire someone who is experienced in these things, then it's very likely that you will see results from these. Um, there's sales app on prospecting. This, of course, makes sense for those higher ACV or LTV organizations. Um, or you know, it, it, it takes about three or so months to show results, and it does give you a higher overhead. However, if the, if the net is still really valuable, then a sales outbound prospecting machine could actually be something that you invest in. And organic search um, takes time. So three to six months on average is what is what it takes to see results from organic search. Um, but this is where we get into content marketing, SEO. This is perfect for lower ACV or LTV organizations. They have, a, they have um, I don't wanna say that they're cheaper products, but they're, they're just smaller dollar values. So this is at like 60 bucks or a hundred bucks. Um, that's kind of the, the place where organic search would be extremely scalable and working very well. And then there's paid acquisition in general, but paid search is one of those things. So this is really best when you do have a clear understanding of what the LTV or the average contract value of is, uh, is of a um, you know, qualified paying customer, um, but it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. So I will say reserve paid search for experts if you can hire them. And if you can't hire them, there's plenty of, of resources out there to learn this extremely well. So put in the time to learn a paid search and also just paid acquisition in general if you don't have the resources. Um, but it's, it is usually a really predictable channel. And then, you know, paid acquisition, same as above, that includes, you know, Facebook ads, Twitter ads. It is much less bottom of the funnel. So you will be playing a more top of the funnel, middle of the funnel game, meaning people aren't looking for solutions when they're on Facebook or Twitter, et cetera, but it could still very well be a very scalable uh, channel for you as well. Um, if these four things do not work for your organization, it's usually because of two reasons. It wasn't executed well, or it could just be that you're looking at a longer acquisition journey and you might not have really quick super fast, scalable tactics to do, you actually might have just a longer play, which means if you have a longer play, you're probably looking at some kind of content marketing or product marketing, um, uh, focusing maybe instead on organic search efforts and also maybe networking and relationship building. But the, there's always exceptions to these roles. Um, but these are, I think, the top four that I would recommend. Okay, quick recap, and then I promise I'm done. I apologize for going over time. Um, but knowing your customer, uh, make sure that you actually talk to your customer. You don't have to guess on what that strategy could be to get to that first 100. You can actually just know, and you know by talking to them. Identify your gaps. Where are you not meeting the customer halfway? Uh, where do they have objections or friction or issues in general or challenges? They're not really sure like why they should choose you over something else. Identify what those gaps are and then work to fill them. 
target the pain. This is what I recommend to companies that are just starting out. Uh, there are, of course, exceptions that I mentioned, but focusing on bottom of the funnel and pain first is, mo is more likely to attract the right kinds of people now, um, as opposed to maybe trying to build and like figure out top of the funnel and then like um, try to figure out that whole entire system. It probably makes more sense to just target the pain today. Defining the strategy. So by this point, you have a pretty clear understanding of, you know, who, where, when, and why you want to target these people. And finally, you're able to translate that into real action items. And then by step number five, you're executing and you're iterating. We are not looking for silver bullets here. We are uh, uh, enjoying the process and enjoying the journey. Um, and then, of course, as we learn things, we, we improve our existing strategy as we learn. And more than anything, we are consistent with our efforts. Um, it's not enough to start Google Ads, decide it doesn't work, and then get it up. Um, but it's very different, however, if we try Google ads and we are constantly testing and iterating on top of it, and then we prove that it doesn't work or um, it actually does. And we figured out exactly how it works. So that is the quick recap. Um, apologies for, again, going over time. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, I do have a bonus slide, early stage playbooks, but I'm actually going to pause here and just say thank you um, for your time and for letting me ramble on about growth and getting to 100 customers. I'm I'm still down to take questions if you guys still want to hang out. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Jeez, Asia, like, wow. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Blimey, there was so much there. Like, um, well, you'll be able to see the chat coming through. Uh, there's one here from Emma who says, thank you. That was incredibly incredible. I'll be sending this through to my team. Uh, I'll be watching this again. Oh, all these comments coming through. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to summarize it. Uh, from a personal perspective and say, I wish that was the talk that existed when I started marketing. And I wish that was the talk <laughs> I had when I started my business too. Uh, you've just given it us all. Uh, so thank you so much. That that was phenomenal. Really, really phenomenal. And and wow. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of love coming your way uh, from all over the world here. So I hope you feel it uh, through that, through that chat feature right there let's uh if, if you are willing to take a few questions we'll definitely do that um but maybe if we keep it to three over the next eight minutes that'll be uh, 15 minutes to take us to quarter two uh yeah. that'll be amazing um so we've got the first one from uh jemima here um and some mm -hmm. of the questions you've already answered so i'm going to skip over some of them um so jemima asks uh, when doing customer research, what tools do you use uh, as someone with a very limited budget who cannot afford the pricey reports, et cetera? Uh, what are the alternatives out there that, that you love the most? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep this really low tech because that's <laughs> kind of the way that we roll. So when we do customer research, we are really just using just email, just plain email, like Gmail, Outlook. Uh, we are using, we are using tools to just to help us better schedule, but, um, you don't necessarily have to, but we use a tool like acuity or Calendly, uh, and then zoom, um, which most of the world by now is familiar with zoom. The reason why we use zoom is because we can record calls and it's really, really, really important that we get actual real true voice of customers. So we do record through zoom and we will get a transcript of that later. But that's, you technically don't even really need that. Um, I think if anything, I would recommend something to help record the actual conversations. You can get a transcript later. Mm -hmm. Our transcripts are through rev.com. Um, but we, I think, I think for one customer interview, we might spend like 60 bucks in just technology costs. 
Um, but you technically don't have to, you don't have to really spend anything. And we, one thing I will say, we don't recommend incentivizing these interviews. It should be because they actually just kind of care about you, um, which you will absolutely find those. I've never, I have never run a single project where we could not get at least seven customer interviews, um, to ultimately help us define our strategy and all incentivized. We've never paid anyone ever. Um, but I will say a lot of founders and teams will surprise people. So they don't lead with it, but they'll surprise them with like a gift card later. And then the customer's almost always really happy and excited about that. Or they'll give like a free month or something like that of, of the service or the solution, if that makes sense. Um, but we can keep this really low tech. It does not have to be super complicated. Uh, we just send emails and we're like, hey, you guys want to chat about XYZ? And nine times out of 10, everyone says yes. Um, and then from there, it just becomes just a process of booking them and recording the call. And that's it. Amazing. And, and actually to speak to an experience for doing exactly that this week, then, then last week I put out uh, a thing on, on LinkedIn and asked folks if they'd be willing to speak to me for 15, 20 minutes. And that exact process played out. It was LinkedIn status, then Calendly, and then we're doing it via Zoom. Uh, and I can't wait to meet some people, you know, so like uh, it was super easy to, to, to book in and, and, and really will make a big, big difference, I think. Um, yeah. So the next question um, comes from Laura and I really really love this question so Laura asks uh, I'm the first and only marketer at a startup CRO agency uh, prior to me there were 15 to 20 customers all referrals which is amazing but reactive not as proactive as you said earlier how can Laura build on that and yeah if I may could I also layer in an additional question here which is yeah those first hundred customers how does this change over the process? So for the first 15 mm -hmm. to 20, presumably that's going to be very different to custom 100, both in terms of process and, and how that works. So I'd yeah. love to hear your experience on that. Ooh, okay. So um, two, two connected questions, definitely correlated here. Okay. So I'll answer the, I'll answer the last one actually first. Um, your customer base is going to evolve over time. So you're exactly right. The first 10 that you acquire and then the last 10 that you acquire, they are going to be um, uh, they're going to have some differences and really the only true difference that should happen, it is probably maybe who they actually are, or maybe like their customer segment, their vertical, et cetera. Um, what shouldn't really change is what pain you're ultimately solving for them. Unless of course you pivot your product or your service, which that totally happens. Um, but your customers will certainly evolve over time. You will start to attract, um, uh, later adopters, which might have more needs. And those are things to identify from a customer research perspective. And then in terms of uh, the very first cohort of customers that you have, if, if they've largely been acquired through sales or through referrals, then your job is really to figure out what are the other opportunities. So one of the questions that you'll ask in your research will actually be, where do you hang out? Like when you look for a solution like ours or when, what, what was the last thing that you put into your organization or um, what was the last thing you bought? How did you find that? How did you go about the process of identifying that? And that's how you get other channels. And like, if, the, if you already know that they came through referrals, cool. Um, but the, the other goal would be to figure out, okay, well, what are some other places I can go? Because I can't necessarily force the referral wheel to happen more. I mean, you could certainly incentivize people, um, like, you know, there's affiliates and things like that, but if you want more options, then you can ask. Um, so that's how I would approach that. And just knowing, of course, that that very first cohort of customer, 
if they've all been acquired the same exact way, then really our goal would be to find other ways of acquisition. So that way we can diversify and then of course grow the bottom line. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned the word pivot there, and, and that's an interesting one because from a marketing perspective, we're going to spend a lot of time, as you say, speaking to the customer. And there'll probably come a point, or there may come a point maybe, if you haven't done the number one step up front where you've done the right research, where you're like, oh no, you know, the thing that we're doing is for not for the right people or indeed that the product is not the right fit. As marketers, do you think it's our role to sort of, how do you then feed that back to the rest of the customer, uh, to the company and sort of interact yeah. with the rest of the company rather than having the siloed approaches as marketers? There's, there's really two opportunities for an organization pivoting in this scenario. So as a marketer, we're listening for pivot in terms of positioning and messaging. There's actually a great example of this. And I'm, I'm working with a client right now. Um, we have data that says, um, that people who are coming to the website, it's for these use cases. And it's also these particular profiles and personas. But when we did customer research, all of the best paying customers were like, I use it for this and this is my role. And here's how I think about the product in, in these terms. And it was really clear that the people who were signing up and not paying and the traffic that we were getting versus the people who are paying totally different, completely different. Like I think the website was mostly getting like students and freelancers, which is totally cool, but they weren't necessarily going to buy the product at the rate and the cost that it was. Um, the actual best paying customers were completely different audiences, different roles, and had different use cases and pain points. So as marketers and really as you know, growth agents in the company, uh, we kind of had to pitch to the CEO we need to pivot all, all of our messaging. Like all of our messaging is not even talking about like what our pest paying customers actually want from us. Um, and instead we're, we've, we've got a bunch of traffic that we're getting, but none of it's qualified, which means that we need to change our go-to-market strategy. We need to change our content marketing strategy. We need to identify more qualified channels. Um, and that is one scenario of pivoting. So positioning and messaging, I, I consider those to be extremely closely related. Um, but of course, messaging is derived from positioning. The other kind of pivoting is business product pivoting. And this is, we don't need to build that product anymore, or we don't need to offer that solution anymore. We actually need to offer this solution. Mm -hmm. And that is something that you can certainly use voice of customer to help illustrate and show. I think if you're a marketer in that scenario and you notice that there is a really clear disparity in terms of what people are actually buying and what the product ultimately is or what the service ultimately is, um, then you can certainly bring that to the CEO and you can certainly bring that to maybe other executive leadership and just making sure that they are aware of what's happening. Um, but I would say you can certainly advocate for that kind of thing. At the end of the day, though, it is ultimately up to executive leadership to decide if they want to truly pivot um, in terms of like, we are no longer building a project management software. We are now building something completely different. We're going to go into business process management. And that's a whole different, it's a whole different world. Um, you will certainly be the hero in this scenario of providing that information and providing that data back to executive leadership. Um, however, I would say in terms of like whose responsibility is it, I think it's important to make sure that people know, but if you guys decide to stay wherever it is that you're at, um, that, you know, 
totally a team decision. But in terms of positioning and messaging, that is a, I mean, to me, that is a marketing decision. Like that is like a, <laughs> our copy needs to change on the website, um, which is also depending on the organization that you're in can be a point of contention because not all marketers <laughs> own websites, but I digress. Um, <laughs> that like, what, like, what do we need to say in order to best highlight our value and also attract the right people? Totally a marketing thing. Um, so that is where I would say, yes, like, if you have the agency and the autonomy in the organization, um, if you can advocate for that, do it. it. That would make a lot of sense. I love it. That that was a fabulous response. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm going to close on on the one question. Uh, I can't see who it's from because uh, oh, it's from Dan. Uh, so uh, Dan asks because uh, we mentioned that uh, I first heard you on Everyone Hates Marketers. Uh, <laughs> Dan's asking about. Uh, your favorite podcasts and let's broaden it out to your your favorite resources because this is a, a public session so that is the question that is mandatory to ask in in, in every webinar of all time so uh, what yeah. are your top resources that, that you go for Ooh, okay so this one is i would say a little bit more focused on SaaS and software um but the learnings from this are applicable pretty much everywhere. Um, Forget the Funnel is one of my absolute favorite resources. It's led by my friends, Claire and Gia. They, uh, so Claire's background, uh, I believe she was like the VP of marketing for Calendly. And then Gia, she was the VP of marketing or maybe the CMO. I honestly can't remember, but she was Unbounce. Um, these are two, one, fierce women who have taken uh, companies from uh, you know, one particular size to multipliers of growth. I mean, Unbounce and Calendly are two, are extremely well-known um, software companies. Forget the Funnel is one of my absolute favorite resources. I have spoken there a few times, but also um, our friend Louis Grenier has also spoken there. Mm -hmm. um, the content there is free. Like you can like you create a profile, you access it, it's all there. Um, tons and tons of different kinds of talks. I also spent a lot of time on CXL.com. So I saw that, I think someone mentioned that they were part of a CRO agency and I kind of wondered if it was CXL. Um, but CXL.com, one of my absolute favorite resources as well, for, just for information. Uh, even though we are not a CRO agency, it's still really, I think it's important to know how people are thinking about um, how to experiment and how we think about experimentation. There's also sources like Growth Hackers. Um, and in terms of podcasts, I admit I'm not a I'm not a big podcast listener these days, um, but the ones that come to mind, I've heard that uh, Dave Gerhardt's podcast is really good. There's also a few different SaaS ones that that I've listened to here and here and there. Mostly though, I listen to books. That's what I really listen to. I, I listen to a lot of books, um, strategy related books, marketing related books, uh, business and leadership books. Lots of like leadership related stuff. Um, so that's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of my efforts now. Nice. I like that. And, and Claire comments in the comments. You said audio books for me too. And, and I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that experience too. I, I'm well with you on that. Um, <laughs> right. I think, Asia, we can, we can release you and we can say, you know what? <laughs> you have been amazing for this like hour and 20 minutes. You've been phenomenal. I feel like, you know, how we started at the beginning and said like about learning one thing. I, I think I've got two or three pages at least of stuff. So, you know, thank you so much. You know, genuinely, um, the knowledge you've got locked up in your head there is, is, is phenomenal. Um, and like, there's a bunch of people here, you know, saying thank you. There's already been a load more come through in the chat earlier. You've been awesome. Absolutely awesome. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and thank you to everyone who's taken the time to watch in today as well. You know, it's 
these things are truly made special by the people watching the the, the chat has been great throughout and i've really been smiling to myself at everyone sort of interacting uh, hopefully you feel like uh, you've got your your little support group right here um so uh we've got a webinar next tuesday uh, once again um it won't be the one that's been advertised today unfortunately uh, they cancelled today so i'm going to be working hard over the next week uh, to find uh, a new a new uh, speaker for next week um but look out for that um the write-up the blog the podcast they'll all be up very very soon uh asia thank you thank you to everyone for tuning in today thank you if everyone watching right now was to message the sponsors as well to say thank you to them oh it'll be unreal uh so so please do take the time to do that uh have a lovely day everyone and uh yeah thank you all i love you all yes take care. thank you all <laughs> <laughs> cheers bye, -bye.